Episode 104 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. Uh, this is the day after the domestic, uh, well, this is the third opening day of the domestic season. Now that we are on Tuesday, April 1st, uh, happy April Fool's Day to you if you drafted a closer because uh, it's already been a disaster at that position and we're going to get into that and a few other things uh, today as well. You know, good afternoon. Yeah, happy opening day, part four of five. Yeah, I think that's right, or part four of four. Are we done after today, or is there another? Is... The home openers. Oh, yeah, we've got that, too. <laughs> I was spoiled. I was at the home opener yesterday for Tampa Bay, and I believe you were at the one for Oakland and Cleveland. Yeah. And we'll have stories about that later on as well. Uh, so, But, again, April Fool's Day is the closers. Those of you guys that paid for saves – and and this was this was an industry thing because at Tout Wars the, I, we talked about this the, the prices for closers in AL and AL mixed were all high after everybody came back on board with closers after getting burned in 2012 they were cheap in 2013 and they went full value in 2014 and here we are two days into the domestic openings uh, season and four closers that we had on paper just last week as having the job are no longer the closers of their teams. We're talking about Casey Jansen with Toronto, Jim Henderson in Milwaukee, uh, Bobby Parnell uh, of the Mets, and Nate Jones of the Chicago White Sox. All four of these guys are now in the bullpens, no longer at the back of them. Uh, Let's start with the situation in New York because it's the most recent one. We learned this morning that Bobby Parnell has a partial tear, or as they said, an incomplete tear, of his MCL and his elbow. They're going to try platelet-rich plasma injection treatment with him. Hopefully two weeks will be a, a thing for him. We knew he was battling issues in the spring with, with his velocity. When you look at the, the pitch data yesterday, he had several pitches over 94 miles an hour. So velocity was there, but in talking with people that watch the game, it wasn't a good outing. Conversely, Jose Valverde has uh, one, one in the third inning, strikes out three and the cockroach lives on. You can't kill him. He's now the closer in New York by default because nobody else can really step up and take the job. And they're going to go with the veteran there uh, in New York. I had a lot of questions. I don't know about your Twitter feed today, but I had a lot of questions. Should I rush out and pick up Jose Valverde? My immediate gut reaction is hell no. Because we saw what happened last year when he got the job. It, it burned out quickly. I fully expect the same thing to happen again. But saves are saves are saves. And if you're scrounging for saves in a deep league and you think he can get 8 to 10 saves before he flames out again, by all means. But, you know, I know you're going to talk at a, at a per-pitch level and stuff. What would you advise people to do with Jose Valverde? Well, I, I don't know if I need to with the with the big the big potato. Um, <laughs> I just call it the cockroach because you can't kill this guy. He keeps popping up. It's like, whoa, I'm going to save, as Craig Calcaterra tweeted out, it seems like Jose Valverde keeps ending up in the right place in the right time. I'm like, yeah, unless you're talking about the strike zone, because that's not the place he lives. <laughs> well, actually, I think that's super relevant, because the thing with, with 
Valverde is that his velocity is down. He used to be a 95, 96, throw the hell out of the ball kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not down to the point where he's throwing 88 or whatever. I mean, it's down to 92, 93. But the thing is, and, and, and he's 92, 93 with a good splitter. So that that's that's uh, something that a lot of other closers have used. And if you if you look at, say, like Wehara, he has basically a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and a splitter. The thing that Wehara has, though, is sort of immaculate command. I mean, just really elite plus-plus-plus command. And we know that's something that Valverde doesn't have. I mean, even if even if you see some good walk rates in there, that's just the power of the small sample. If you look at his career, his walk rate is worse than average. If you look at it compared to late inning relievers, it's even worse than that. So he's a pretty bad guy when it comes to command, and that's gonna just that's gonna start finding its way into things. And if you the problem with throwing a fastball on split finger is you have to get ahead to throw that split finger. The split finger you can't throw it for strikes, and especially if you're not Valverde. So if he can't get ahead with the with the fastball, then he can't even throw the split finger, or he's just going to walk a lot of people. So I, I agree with you, you sort of in general, which is that it's it's an ugly way to get saves, and also that people will probably hold their nose and and pick him up anyway, but. You know, I just, I think that long-term, you know, I think that what's really interesting about Parnell was he was throwing 88, 89 in, in spring training. Right. And said, you know, oh, it's just the neck. I said, I don't know, man, you only get like a mile an hour, you know, to two miles an hour between uh, spring training and August when velocities peak. So even if we have him at 90, 91, this is a problem. And, you know, I don't know if he heard people talking about it or if he just decided now I'm going to ramp it up. But he went from 88, 89 in his last spring training outing to what he did last night, you know, 92, 93. That's a really big jump. I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying that that's why he's hurt now. But it's it's a pretty big jump and it doesn't feel organic and it didn't ramp up to that. So there's something going on there. And. You know, I personally think that it probably, you know, I doubt that platelet surgery, platelet stuff is really going to work. I think this is probably going to be a longer term thing. And the longer term this gets, the less likely that Jose Valverde keeps the job all year. I think he's most, he's like a guy that can come in and close for two, three, four weeks maybe. But if, if it's like, oh, we don't have Parnell the rest of this year, we don't know about Parnell going into next season. Let's start looking at who could close next year because I don't think that we really want to re up with Valverde next year. So, God, yeah, you would hope not. I mean, here's the thing: when I when I look at Jose Valverde, what really stands out to me, you know, 2012 pitched most of the season, had a 16.3 percent strikeout rate. Last season, he only lasted 84 plate appearances before he got released, but he had a 22.6 strikeout rate. This, despite the fact that his swing and miss rate has gone down nearly every of uh, each of the past five seasons. This is a swing and miss rate. 29-4, 25-7, 1 and then all the way down to 17-4, and then a tick up to 17-8 last year. 
So the swing and miss, if you can read splitter out of his hand, you spit on it, you let it go because he doesn't throw it for strikes. You're waiting for the fastball with him, and that's and that's the thing with him. Let's not forget he gave up six home runs in just 84 plate appearances last year. That's, the, the the home run to fly ball ratio was 21, percent and this was in the cool air of Detroit. This wasn't like he was in a, a launching pad. The way things worked here, you know, I don't see this lasting. I don't like this move at all. If I was in the deepest of leagues and I was absolutely desperate for any possible save out there, sure. But of the four guys that got jobs. In the past twenty, uh, past forty-eight hours, of uh, Valverde, Francisco Rodriguez, Matt Lindstrom, and Sergio Santos, I would take all three of them, hands down, before I would touch Valverde. And I don't even like Lindstrom. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to go about it. And just a note for the the super deep leaguers, um, where actually in that case Valverde's already gone by now. Um, I would actually think about. Gonzalez Herman mm-hmm. because Herman throw through the actual by 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 swing strike rate the whiffiest changeup in the big leagues last year. So these guys got a 92 mile an hour fastball. It's decent. A 92 mile an hour sinker. He's got a uh, a, a plus slider. Got a 16 17 percent whiff rate. And then he's got this really nice changeup. And it's you know it's a couple ticks on the gun away from elite reliever stuff right. and I'm not necessarily saying he's going to get those ticks on the gun but it is the kind of package that could work in a sort of Joaquin Soria way where if he has enough control and he has three pitches he can kind of take a starting pitching mentality to to the eighth and ninth innings so anyway I think that there's something there with her men um, and you know Vic Black has control issues and he's in the minor league yep. right now and they're already talking Kyle Farnsworth over Vic Black. Oh, boy. <laughs> if Vic Black doesn't come up, then the only sleeper in that pen is Gonzalez Herman, really. I don't – maybe people are talking Familia, but Familia has uh, crazy uh, control issues. So I, I doubt they'd go from, oh, Jose Valverde walked the lineup and gave up home runs. Let's let's go to this immediately to this youngster that – also has a walks problem. Any so, chance? Any chance they they bring up Matsuzaka for the rotation and shift Mejia back to the bullpen? No, that's 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 a definite no. They're they're they have nixed that one from the beginning. They just really want to see how many innings they can get out of Mejia. Mejia has really interesting stuff. I, I know we talked about him a lot. So, but uh, I think that they just want it. They want him as a starter, maybe to trade him, but they need him to continue to be thought of around the league as a starter, at least. Excellent. Uh, So that's a situation. That's how we recommend that situation. Let's take a step up on the chart. Yesterday, we were surprised by the news of Robin Ventura saying that veteran Matt Lindstrom is going to get the job from Nate Jones. Uh, It's closed. Everybody, it was, Nate Jones was the presumptive closer. Reed was gone. Jones was the guy that had the velocity, had the best skills in the bullpen. Yet the veteran Lindstrom gets this. And from a skills level, let's look at how these guys performed in 2013. Batting average against, Lindstrom was 30 points higher than Nate Jones. On base percentage, Lindstrom 33 points higher. Slugging percentage, Lindstrom was 9 points lower because Lindstrom does a better job of keeping the ball in the ballpark. Strikeout rate, Jones 28-3, Lindstrom 17-7. Walk rate, Lindstrom 8-8, Jones 8-3. That's all the same. Ground ball, both are ground ball pitchers. You know, swing and miss. Jones is getting swings and miss nearly a third of the time. 
Lindstrom's getting it a fifth of the time. So from a skills level, this job should have been Nate Jones's. But Lindstrom get this. It gets this job. And you had you know, you posited off air that you know there's a reason there's there's maybe something behind this of why teams are giving these jobs to a veteran like Lindstrom when clearly somebody else in this bullpen has better skills. Yeah, it's it's a great piece that that uh, Matt Murphy wrote on the Hardball Times a couple weeks back, and he he was talking about how cheaper teams can keep their relievers, their young relievers, their cost control relievers cheaper by signing these lower tier closers. So, you know, the Indians go out and get John Axford. That keeps Cody Allen cheap by in arbitration by keeping saves out of his line. Um, the in, the uh, the, uh, the, 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 sorry, the athletics go and get Jim Johnson, who they have to pay $10 million, but that improves their bullpen. It's a short term deal and it keeps the longer term assets like Ryan Cook cheaper in case, you know, he was a potential saves. And I think you've seen it at different, in different places around, uh, around the, the league. I mean, maybe the Rays are doing that. Oh, yeah. With Jake McGee, we've all, you know, Tommy Ransell, RJ Anderson, and I, we've often uh, thought that that's what they're doing with McGee. That's what the A's are doing with Sean Doolittle. You know, guys that you know skills wise, yeah, let's, we've got this guy, let's do it. But they rarely see a save. You look at the way the arbitration process works, it rewards you for saves. And you look at a middle reliever, it doesn't have the save totals. It's just not how the arbitration process works. So you can save some money. Is it millions? And unless a guy turns out to be Craig Kimbrell, and we're not talking about a huge amount of money. But if a guy does become Craig Kimbrell, we now we know what can happen, and we know that it's it used to be Papelbon was the high ceiling at six and a quarter for that pre-arbitration for a guy that just hits the ground running with that save jobs and take and takes off. Now it could be even higher that we've got the whole case. You know, they filed for nine. The Braves filed for six and a half. And if you look at that, and then what a guy would get through the regular process without having the saves. It can definitely behoove the team to save a few million bucks to do this if you can find a better. I mean, after all, Kevin Gregg saved 33 games last year. I mean, as much as we just kicked dirt on Jose Valverde, we, we you know, Kevin Gregg was eight feet under as far as a baseball career. Comes out last year and saves 33 games. So when you look at the way the role, the way the role is being treated by some teams, uh, especially lower division teams that don't care about that, per, that perspective, somebody's got to fill the role, so we'll give it to somebody. Then it can happen. Upper division teams, you know, they'll they'll find a veteran. Somebody's out there. There's enough skilled relievers, and we've seen it time and time again, especially with the way the Rays have done things. They'll find somebody to do the job, and everybody else laughs, but that person ends up doing the job well every year. Yeah, and I have yet to I, – I try to only put things in my toolbox that I feel are have been vetted, have really good numbers behind them, and seem predictive. So those are the kinds of things that I like to talk about. I haven't actually yet figured out what uh, what samples these per pitch whiff rates um, become uh, useful, but I do know that they're per pitch numbers, and per pitch numbers are always better off than per at bat numbers. So that's just an aside. So in in the case of this, I haven't yet seen a, an analysis either from Matt and today I did try to do some more analysis on rotographs. I haven't yet seen an analysis that says. Okay, age or service time is something we should think about for all closers. It's not. It's not predictive. I don't think it's not. It doesn't work in every case, especially. So, for example, you're thinking about Matt Lindstrom. Okay, so now we've decided maybe Matt Lindstrom is the closer because they want to keep Nate Jones cheap. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Except 
that these same White Sox gave Addison Reed the job. Right. Now, did they learn from the Addison Reed situation and how they're going to, you know, keep Nate Jones cheap until they're, until they're better or whatever? Or, or is this just a temporary thing and Nate Jones will take the job because, you know, what, you know, I love Nate Jones. He was one of two guys last year that had, uh, 50% ground ball rate, 10 plus K9, and better than average control. Him and Dave Robertson, I love those guys. Yes. But, um, so, so today I did some more research where I found that closers are getting older. They're on average older than the population. The average closer is 29 or 30. The average uh, baseball player is 28. And the average baseball player is getting younger as, they're, as we're finding that t- uh, players are cheaper when they're cost-controlled. Teams are letting uh, players debut younger. They want, they want to use more of their years, their pre-peak years. So um, anyway, baseball population is getting younger. Closer population is getting older. There's some evidence here that there's something going on here, and I think you you had a lot of good examples. I forgot about Pedro Strope was you know going to be the closer in Chicago, but why make Pedro Strope more expensive when you're going to lose 100 games? So you know Kevin Gregg, come on down, and um, and I, I think that's an interesting uh, interesting way to think about things. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure how to use it yet. I mean. It does suggest that, you know, there is a possibility that Matt Lindstrom could keep the job all year. I'm still going to go back to the one thing I've seen that's sort of predictive, which is fastball velocity and strikeouts. They're the ones, one thing that new closers have. They have more fastball velocity and more strikeouts than the guys they replace. So when I look at Sergio Santos, for example, mm-hmm. I feel much better about that situation because, A, He's got more fastball velocity than the guy he's replacing. He's got more strikeouts than the guys he's replacing. And I don't think that cost concerns are actually a concern here. Uh, Santos has one more year on his contract. Jansen is a free agent. So, you know, they're, they're ready to win now. And I think Santos, I'd much rather have, I'd much rather have Santos than anybody that we'll talk about today. Uh, absolutely agree. I mean, I have I have Santos and Tout Wars. I paid six dollar or four dollars for him when he came up for this reason. I, I was speculating that Jansen was going to have issues, and I talked to one of the Toronto writers yesterday when I was at the game. Uh, we were chatting. I was like, "Okay, explain the Jansen situation to me." He said, "It's it's a new injury. It's not the same shoulder issue that was bothering him during spring training. Now he's got an issue in his back and lat muscle. Now it could be a kinetic effect injury where the the back was compensating for the shoulder, and that's why that's now hurt." But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it takes a little longer for that to come back. And Santos just keeps this job in this situation. We'll get back to him as skilled because we know the skills. We've covered him. But I want to talk about the Milwaukee situation before we look at all four of these new closers and let you decide which ones you want to go get. We learned uh, Ron Renneke just gave the job to Francisco Rodriguez, the same guy who stepped on a cactus with a bare foot in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. Gave him the job. Uh, and, and reading the report that Adam McAlvey gave, he said that they were concerned that Jim Henderson uh, didn't have the velocity that he needed uh, and his pitches didn't have the life. We know that Henderson was working on a changeup to counteract the splits that he's had. His OPS splits are rather severe, so he's working on a changeup to counteract that. But it really seemed like the first report that we had out there, like, hey, velocity is such a problem that we're not going to give you the job. And they waited until opening day until they rolled K-Rod out there and said, okay, that's our closer for now. 
We look at K-Rod. I mean, K-Rod has got his own issues with splits. We talked about it when we did the, the Milwaukee preview. You know, he got murdered by right-handed uh, power hitters last year, especially when he came over to AL East. He was a disaster in Baltimore. Better in, um, in, in uh, Milwaukee, but was a disaster in Baltimore. I wrote a piece up uh, over at Fangraphs quite some time ago about him showing the kind of issues that he had. You know, if you're at the same... You're in a league, you had Jim Henderson, you've got Francisco Rodriguez. Do you dump one to pick up the other, or do you try to hold both? Yeah, that's that's why I have four or five slots dedicated to relievers, just because I'm going to handcuff at some point. And I'd rather not handcuff all season. I'm I'm hoping to handcuff for a couple weeks and see how this works out. So, yeah, I would, if there if it's at all possible, I would try to find a way to have both. Um, you know, I just called up Jim Henderson's spring training velocities that he actually did pitch in a pitch FX stadium and they had him at 93, you know, in terms of the different guys that we've talked about on this podcast and the different guys in terms of their velocity losses and stuff, this is not as drastic as a lot of guys. I mean, 93 and a half, uh, average and last year he was a 95. So basically if he finds a half, mile an hour he's within shouting distance of his of his career average so and and 93 mile an hour is not i mean what francisco rodriguez himself averaged 91 last year Mm -hmm. so in this case even with the velocity loss henderson has more velocity than than francisco rodriguez but you know the 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 thing that makes it tough is that k-rod throws his curveball and change so often now um, that he's actually gotten his strikeout rate up in the last couple of years just just by throwing his, his junk more. And I don't really think that's something you really want in the, in the closer role long term. I think, like I said, velocity is part of this package. So when a guy splits velocity and the other guy has strikeout rate, you know, that's one thing. But if Jim Henderson does get a little bit right, gets it up to 94 you know, use the change up and has a similar strikeout rate to Francisco Rodriguez, he's going to be a more attractive option. So I still, I still kind of like Jim Henderson long-term. Um, and I don't think, you know, just think about the way that Francisco Rodriguez was, was uh, treated over this off season. He was treated like Jose Valverde. Yes. He was treated, you know, Oh, if something goes wrong, we'll keep your number around. But it wasn't like anybody who needed a closer or needed a setup man went and signed Francisco Rodriguez. I mean, here's the thing with him. What stands out, we're, we're still talking about a reliever that has had at least a 9.0 K9 for 11 straight seasons. I mean, the, the list of pitchers that have done that, Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, Billy Wagner, Pedro Martinez, Octavio Dotel, and Kerry Wood, and Francisco Rodriguez. That's it. If you're looking at season, 10 or more seasons of a, K9, a, a 9.0 K per nine, that's your list. What really stood out, I mentioned how he got murdered against right-handed batters last year. This was it. This is his batting average and balls in play over the last four seasons against righties. 288, 262, 333, 397 last year. His slugging percentage went from 317 against righties to 608 last year. It was just unbelievable what he did. Uh, we look at 
just especially in the American League East, it just really killed him on the fastballs, the righties. He elevated it, and he was getting crushed. So you just figured he was going to be slightly better simply on some regression because that was just a crazy season. What happened to him last year? I think he was just a very poor fit for Camden Yards and the way the left center field gap plays there. So I still like Jim Henderson. I'm still a believer in the skills. I'm, I still want to find a way to reserve him. But I'll take K-Rod. Maybe he gets two months out of this. I've always, I've already said, if you go back and look at the predictions for the NL Central, Milwaukee, I'm the only guy to pick Milwaukee to make the to make the postseason. That's my that's my thing. So I think this is, I, I did like the Francisco Rodriguez signings. I thought it gave them nice depth. I just didn't think he would take over in the closer role. But I still think this is Jim Henderson's job down the line. Yeah, I, I think it might be one of the messier ones, actually, just because of some comments that Jim Henderson gave. Uh, I don't know if it was in the McCalvey piece. I saw it on Twitter. Henderson said, you know, whoever's going well gets the job. That's just how it is here in Milwaukee, and I have to get right in order to get the job. So if it really is something that they sort of make decisions on, um, and it seems like that. I mean, if you think about how Axford left, Axford was the closer, then he wasn't, then it was K-Rod, then it was Henderson. And they don't really seem to, they don't stress about it too much. They just try to get the best guy in there. So if, for whatever reason, Henderson's getting knocked around, he's not going to get it back. So I guess what I would, at least not until until K-Rod gets knocked around. So I think this might be a pickup and drop all year. For now, I would I would try to have a week or two where I had both of them you know, maybe in a week or two, you know, one of them has has made their case a little bit stronger. I would, I would look as we look at the four the four new closers: Santos, Rodriguez, Lindstrom, and Valverde. I mentioned them mentioned them in that order because that's how I have them ranked. If I'm looking to free agent uh, this weekend and my league, we those, these guys are still out there. That's the ranking I'll go on I, in my NFBC draft. We drafted Sunday and we had. A fab session Sunday night, which was sweet. I paid $111 for Sergio Santos. We have a $1,000 free agent budget. I paid $111 and got him. The next highest bid was $99. So there goes 11% on my fab budget. But I'm that much of a believer in Santos. I was kicking myself for not drafting him in the active phase of the draft. And I used my last pick on Greg Polanco, who I waived to pick up Santos because it's a 12-team league. I I want immediate results out of this. Uh, But when you look at the skills... From a strikeout rate perspective, over the last two seasons, Santos 28-1, Rodriguez 25-3, then you come way down to Lindstrom at 18-7, and then you take another tick down to Valverde at 17-7. You and I are both on the same page. We agreed you have to miss bats as a closer. That's something you have to do, and we see a, a, a line of delineation here between who can and who can't. If we look at contact within the zone, and I think this is what really separates Santos from the rest, these are the Z contact percentages for the four guys. Santos, 80.5. Rodriguez, 88.4. Valverde, 89.1. Lindstrom, 89.2. To me, Santos is the clear runaway favorite here because of that. We know he can miss bats. We know he can miss bats within the strike zone. This isn't all chase me. And that's how some of these, that's how especially... How Rodriguez and Valverde live and die is they get you to chase their pitches out of the strike zone. Santos can come in the zone if he needs to and still get you to miss, and I think it's a clear differentiator here. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a thing that also speaks against Lindstrom because he's chosen for ground balls over strikeouts despite having a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, and I doubt that that's going to change at this point. I mean, even though the slider is 
okay. It's not plus plus. Uh, and even though he has a 95 mile an hour fastball, he for whatever reason decided a 50 percent ground ball rate is more important to him than you know a 25 percent strikeout rate. So um, I think Lindstrom is who he is, and that's that's why he would be second on that list for me too. I think what makes it a little bit more interesting, though, and I'd love to hear your ranking, is let's throw in the second guys. So you've got Lindstrom, Santos, Rodriguez, Alverde. That's that. That's what you had one through four. Yes. Okay. So now throw Nate Jones and Jim Henderson in that mix. I still take Santos number one, and I, I slot those two guys ahead. I was I'll slot Nate Jones second and. Uh, Henderson third. Yeah, so that's why that's really interesting because I'm in leagues where I have Jones and I've actually chose not to pick up Lindstrom for Jones. Tried to pick up Lindstrom for other players and failed in at least one league with uh, FAB because I just didn't want to spend a ton of FAB money on Lindstrom if I you know I just wasn't sure enough about his chances. I w- I would have spent a lot of money on Santos, but he was gone. So um, you know. I did have the option of dropping Lindstrom for Jones and did not take it. So, I mean, dropping Jones for Lindstrom, I did not take it. So that may bite me in the end, but I think I have a very similar ranking to you. And I think the hardest ranking for me is Francisco Rodriguez versus uh, Jim Henderson and versus Nate Jones. If I only had one slot for those three guys, I, you know, the skills argument says Nate Jones. The... Who's in? Who's getting saves now? Argument mm-hmm. says Francisco Rodriguez. So and Jim Henderson is if that's if there's a polarity there, Jim Henderson's in the middle on both. Better skills than Rodriguez, closer to saves than than Jones, perhaps. I don't know. This is so, why this is why dra- drafting closers drives us all crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's really crazy. It's really does. It's just you know four guys out of the gate. You know if if people were old school guys. Yeah, old school. I I still have two drafts. I I have one on today's the first. I have one on Thursday, and I have another one this weekend. So I still have two drafts, and it's going to be interesting to see how the values in these in these in both auctions change because of some of these early injuries. I mean, Santos was was a guy going in end games all over the place. I bet you now he goes for fifteen dollars. I bet you he goes for fifteen, and now Jansen's the one that goes for four dollars. If if we redid Tout Wars this weekend, I could see that thing flipping because from this this was the the skills were always there. Now the opportunity's there, and maybe he, maybe one of these cases where Jansen gets Wally pipped if he's out four to six weeks, and Santos comes in and shoves it. Oops, you lost your job, uh, and that's the way it goes. Uh, switching over to injuries, we did have two uh, rather important ones happen yesterday. And Wilson Ramos got hit in the hand and uh, is going to be out a little bit. We don't know exactly how long, but they were saying there were reports on both sides of this last. I don't know if you saw this. Some There was a, a, a write up in the Washington Post that was, that Wilson Ramos has a broken hand. I also saw tweets uh, quoting Matt Williams that said x-rays were negative. Do we have uh, uh, any conclusion on this situation? Not from what I've seen. And, and actually, uh, one report I've seen called it a tweak. So, yeah, I, I definitely see that Matt Williams said after the game, x-rays came back negative, and that he's going to a specialist, specialist that looks at hamate bone. In yeah, him. I also heard that. Hamate bone, ligament issue. I mean, it's been all over the place with him. What sucks is he's another example of, you know, once you start breaking down, you continue to break down, because he's never had a healthy season. It's always been something with him. 
And that's really the only reservation. There are no problems with Wilson Ramos' skills. It's the health. And day one, we're reminded of it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's too bad. I also, I, I let it ride. I have McCann and Ramos in one of my auto near leagues. And it's really, it's a strange setup. You, can, you get 162 games out of two catcher slots. So it's kind of like a one and a half, one and a quarter catcher league. And, you know, having Ramos as a second catcher was a little bit more than I wanted, but he was a $3 catcher, and I was really hoping for him to take off, and I really thought he would take off and get me a lot more in trade value. Now I'm sort of stuck with the same old Ramos, which is good when he's in, injured a lot. Um, you know, the good news, I think, in at least mixed leagues, it's not good news for anybody in two-catcher NL-only leagues. They are just, you know, on the edge of their chair, you know, trying to figure out what's going to happen. But... um in, in single leagues, in mixed leagues, Ramos is just a part of a great group of guys that, you know, kind of from 9 to 16, I'm, I'm happy with any of these guys. In our consensus ranks, 9 was Castro. So Castro, Gaddis, Weeders, Ramos, Montero, Gomes, TDA, uh, Przinsky. I don't really like Przinsky, but that group you should be able to get one out of to replace Ramos. So I, I would recommend probably Miguel Montero for most people. Otherwise, it's Jan Gomes. One of those two has some upside, you know, decent floor, you know, can definitely step in for Ramos. Yeah, the issue with people may look at Lobatone and say, oh, hey, he's going to get more playing time in Washington. He had a 720 OPS last year or, or whatever that he had with Tampa Bay. Uh, as somebody watched him play every day last year, it, you know, most of his OPS is luck. He'll run into one. He's a he has a poor plate discipline. He'll go up there swinging at whatever he wants to take a hack at. Uh, he can run into one every now and then, but this is this is not a situation that's going to work out. If you're looking at him as a starting catcher, he's going to be a, a very low number two uh, at best, even with this increased playing time. The other one, Jose Reyes, couldn't even make it one plate appearance. Before he got hurt, he hit a, uh, a hanging changeup off the off the backside of the plate out to short right center field. Desmond Jennings made a web gem of a dive and caught the ball. Had he missed that, Jose Reyes could have walked around the bases for an inside park home run because it was one of those seeking line driver line drives. You have to make a decision right away. There's no way that 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 uh, there was going to be a backup. Will Myers was not going to be able to back up that play in time, and De- Jennings caught it. But Reyes said after the game that he's, his, his hamstrings never really felt 100%. And even in, in Montreal, and you're reading all this, you're thinking, oh, my God, why did they let him play? For a guy that has his history of leg issues, why did they force it? Why were they aggressive and not conservative? And maybe it's maybe it's these kind of things that Toronto's always struggling with injuries because they're not conservative enough with this. They push the envelope here. They push the envelope with Casey Jansen. And both guys are on the disabled list to start the season. Yeah, and in particular in Montreal on that turf, I don't know if they. I think I think Jonah said in spring training that it's not. It wasn't the the same turf that it used to be. Yeah, it was new turf. You could tell it was new. That they at least uh, got rid of the concrete underneath. <laughs> oh yeah, if you're not reading Jonah's book, please start reading it. It, it. it talks about just how bad Olympic Stadium was back in its heyday. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've actually got that. I'm probably, I'm actually, I'm. Uh, this might be my last podcast until next week. I'm going to be going to Jamaica for a long weekend at the wrong time. My wife is totally mad. 
My bosses are wondering what the heck I'm doing. It's the first week of baseball season, <laughs> but I haven't. I have. I used to go to Jamaica every year until 2002, so it's been a long time, and I kind of just feel the itch. And uh, so I'm going for a long weekend, a lot of traveling for three days in Jamaica, but um, I'm excited about it. I don't know where I started on that one, but I just started thinking about Jamaica. Well, we're talking, <laughs> it's a reminder that we may not have, I may try to line up a guest uh, and do yeah. a guest episode in your absence so we don't go a week uh, within the regular season. I know people really wanted something over the weekend, so I may try to line up something to do over the weekend. Um, so this, as you're listening, this is a reminder that there may not be an episode on Thursday, but I'm really trying to get something lined up so we don't have to wait until next Tuesday. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I'll try to get you in touch with some people. I know uh, Brad Johnson um, has a has a fairly open schedule, would love to be on. So um, maybe you guys will hear Brad, maybe you'll hear somebody else, but um, not me. I'll be on the beach. Yeah, I'm, I'm using restraint to use Jamaican jokes here. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then you're better than most of my chatters. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray, vacation! Uh, yes. so right, that's a good one. Yeah, that, that's a safe one. So that's <laughs> with Reyes. That's what I really don't. It's frustrating. But when you draft Jose, when you draft Jose Reyes, this is what you have to expect. This yeah. is. It's not the worst case scenario. It is the Jose Reyes scenario because this is what Jose Reyes does, and this is why you don't. If you invest in him, it is a high risk, high reward thing. And right now, you're dealing with the risk. And let's see what happens with him when he comes back. But I just thought it, w- it was poorly handled. If they if they had simply played him in a minor league game Thursday, kept him out of the Montreal exhibitions, they could have backdated his DL stint from the, to the 23rd. He would have been eligible to come off this weekend, and maybe he'd be 100%. Now he's got to sit out 15 days from yesterday, so he can't come back off the DL until April 16th, even if he feels good a week from now. That's the situation so uh, right out the gate, Toronto is, is dealing with the issues Toronto always has. To wrap things up, yesterday you were in the Oakland and the Cleveland, or you were at least in one of the clubhouses. You were at the Oakland-Cleveland game. I believe you were in, I know you're in the Cleveland clubhouse. I was in the Tampa Bay clubhouse. Why don't you share something you learned from your visit in there, and I'll share something I learned from mine and mine. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, the, I mean, first, the thing that nobody cares about, Sean Doolittle is actually going to throw that slider and change more often this year. Well, I care about that. And, that's good. <laughs> and uh, and he actually he threw uh, four breaking pitches out of 20 yesterday, and that's actually more than he normally throws. So already we didn't see a change yet, but we, we saw more breakers than usual. And I think that'll be good. I think he needs a little bit more of a – an extra wrinkle. The longer he's around, the more people know about that glove flip and the deception he tries to use there and are better at picking the ball out. So uh, I'm excited for him. I think that'll be a good wrinkle. And with Jim Johnson not really necessarily having a first good day on the job, I, I doubt that there'll be a change. But, you know, there, things can happen. And if Doolittle has another pitch in his arsenal, he's, it's a little bit more likely for him to, to close at some point. Um and then the other thing that was, uh, which should be interesting to a lot of people, was I had a, a good conversation with Danny Salazar, and some of the stuff was about injury and Tommy John. That's going to be the the focus of my piece. But one thing that he said that I found very interesting was that he said the Indians said to him nothing about innings limits this year, and all they did was try to ramp up slowly in spring training. If you saw, he didn't get a lot of spring training innings. But he said by the time he, he had his last start, he went five innings. 
and he's ready to go as long as they need him to. And they haven't talked to him about limiting him to 100 pitches a game or any sort of innings limit. So that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily have a plan in place, but he also seemed to suggest that they were going to let him go. That they that they sort of put it that way to him. So I've been I've been conservative with him in projections, trying to project him around 170 innings, uh-huh. uh, which is kind of a 20 percent increase. That's sort of what people have done in the past. And maybe you know the Indians will still find a phantom injury where. He's got blisters, and he's got to sit for two weeks, and he misses just enough starts to keep him under 180 innings and keep him uh, ready for the postseason if they're going to have some postseason. So, you know, it doesn't mean that he that he will get 200 innings, but the fact that they're sort of they're not talking about it now and they haven't sort of set one ahead of time, I think, is a good sign for him. And you could maybe see him approach 180 innings. The closer he gets to 180, the closer it doesn't mean anything. You know, and if he's pitching in the in the post in the uh, in the final ends of the season, uh, then it does. Then there's almost no reason to discount him in head-to-head leagues for for uh, for this. So, you know, I hate to put more helium in the Danny Salazar name, but maybe there should be a little bit more. Uh, maybe for my visit for my stuff, you know, Dickey Dickey's velocity. Both Dickey and Price looked really good from a velocity perspective yesterday. I know there's concerns about both last year. Both looked good. Dickey had the 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 hard duckler going. The issue was it was up. And in talking with in talking with Madden after the game, talking with a couple of the players, they did have an approach, a plan of attack to be aggressive early in the count against Dickey. They know in the past, you know, they would take the first couple, then get down, and then be at the mercy of the knuckleball. So there was a lot of first pitch swinging. Every time it was high, they let the bat fly. Matt Joyce talked about that, saying it's a guy that's given him a lot of problems in the past. So when he first one he saw, he was going to take a hack at it. Uh, had a sack fly, had a, a double up the top of the fence in right center field. He talked. He's rather open about the fact he does not like the DH, but that's going to be his role most nights with this team. When you have DeJesus, you have Jennings, you have Myers, and the Rays plan on using the DH as a half day off, so there's going to be some rotation things there. And it's going to be Joyce's role, so it's something he's trying to grow into. It's not something he's completely happy with but I think one of the things that stood out especially that sack fly it was a fly ball to deep left center field that's not a part of the park he normally hits fly balls to if he hits a fly ball the other way it's typically a mistake he's very much a pull hitter but he's worked hard on using all parts of the field this year so I and you could see it this spring he was dropping bunts against the shifts trying to hit the ball the other way uh with with you know solid contact rather than accidental contact so it's just something to keep an eye on to how how often he gets in the field and if he's DHing most of the time and and Myers is staying out there, is it going to start digging into his numbers? We've talked about the fact that for whatever reason Matt Joyce just blows up in the month of May, has phenomenal statistics, and then tapers off the rest of the season. It's just a, it's a weird thing, but it has happened every year with him in Tampa Bay. If you are in the league, you see Matt Joyce struggling out of the gate. Go get him because May's always awesome. If you have him, start trying to sell him in May when he's doing good because after that the numbers taper off. Go look it up if you don't believe me. But that's the case. But I thought he was rather he was rather honest about not liking the DH, and that's just something I want to keep an eye on to see if it affects his numbers if he stays at DH more often than not. There is something called the DH penalty mm-hmm. that that Tom Tango has researched uh, and talked about, which is sort of ten percent is the idea the dh uh pinch hitter penalty is about 10 percent you give you give the same guy and a bat you know when he's been out on the field and he's and he's been more active 
and he's 10% better than the same guy who's been sitting on the bench. So, um, you know, take 10% off of Matt Joyce's numbers and you're not, you're talking about a guy who's no longer mixed league relevant probably. I mean, he's, I like him, but he needs to be great against righties when he's in. And, you know, I think this news makes him a little bit less likely that I'm going to own him as a bench bat in, in a regular mixed league. In deeper leagues, especially daily leagues, he's still a pretty potent bat when you put him in there against righties. And, you know, in the auto new, for example, you have 40, 40 roster slots, but it's a 12-man league. Those are the kind of leagues where Matt Joyce is perfect because you have a lot of bench slots. You can have two or three platoon bats for one position. So you could have, you know, Joyce and Rajai Davis and blah, 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 mm-hmm. and just, you know, plug them in whenever, you know, it's best to have them. So, but, um, yeah, it is nice to see that the knuckler from Dickey was, was going 78, 79, 80, because that's what he needs to be doing to, to really be Dickey. So if he, I, I'm not dropping him based on that. I know some mixed leaguers would be, be willing to drop him, but the, if the, the velocity was there, I don't think he's a dropper yet. It, it, it was it was an odd outing because he did walk six guys, which is unusual for him. But the knuckler had a lot of movement. If if you go to my you know go to my blog jasoncolette.com, I have a, an animation up there of a knuckle a knuckler that he threw to Ben Zobers to strike him out in the first inning. It shows you how much movement that pitch had on it last night. It it had ten inches of horizontal movement. It started middle in on the plate. It ended up in the chalk uh, of the back of the batter's box. And the ball was all over the place. And sometimes, it, again, if it was up, when he threw it up, they were they were hitting it. And if it was low, they let it go and it was floating out of the zone. And to his credit, Brian Gorman had a, had a tight strike zone in the bottom half of the zone. It was consistently tight. He was squeezing Dickey. He was squeezing Price down there. It was consistent. That's all you have to ask. But Dickey wasn't getting a lot of favors down there low in the zone. I saw four or five pitches on on the Brooks data that had balls called within the strike zone. So that's something to bear. I wouldn't panic if I were a Dickey owner, but it's just it was not one of his better outings. Yeah, I I think the command just he's had better he's had command for longer. Um, so I think you know just one outing with bad command is not enough to sort of say oh Dickey's done. So. He's, he is, I will admit that he is a little bit borderline in mixed leagues because he's in the American League. Um, I tried to find that Knucklers ha- give up more homers, but they, they, do, they don't over the history of baseball. But, you know, just the, the park factors in Toronto don't favor him. And he's not, you know, in a league ground ball guy or anything. So, you know, there are some things that make him, uh, that make him borderline for mixed leagues, but there's still enough potential for a guy who can have like a 375 ERA, 7 or 8K9, and give you 220 innings. Um, so, you know, that to me is kind of a perfect number five, number four, number five in mixed leagues. And it's kind of gold in like score sheet where you just need the innings mm-hmm. and, and and deeper leagues where you just need the innings. If if I thought that I could get Dickey cheaper in labor because of that outing, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time for me to to talk to the uh, talk to the Dickey owner in in AL labor, but um, you know, it doesn't always work that way with experts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. If he if he puts up another stinker, you know, kind of like let's look at last year. 
Go look at the month of April that Marco Estrada and Rick Porcello had in April. And then go look at the rest of their seasons. So if guys have big stink bombs of a month, I believe Porcello's ERA was 830. And Estrada's was not far off that because he got 10 home runs in the month of April. But look at the, what they did the rest of the season. So if that's what I'd love to do. I'm a non-expert in my home leagues. I'd love to look at those guys that are just crap in the bed in, in April and be like, I'm going to make a trade offer with that guy. And sometimes... Most of the guys that I play with, they're, they're like, no, I know he's going to get better. I'll just, you know, I've, I've had to absorb the crap, so I'm going to just stay around for the good stuff. But every now and then you find a guy that'll bite and be like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And, and it works out for you. So that's what you should be most diligent about. Don't worry about, you know, your guys that are doing poorly. Look at other teams' rosters that have guys doing poorly. And after about a three-week time, start putting out the lines in the water and see who bites. Yeah. Yeah, they'll they'll know they'll see you coming too far if you come after one bad start. Uh, but uh, if you if you if you're a little bit more coy about it, I think uh, I think you can still take advantage of some situations. Exactly. All right, man. Well, enjoy your vacation. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll I'll try to put something together in your absence over the weekend. Because I know a lot of people were very positive about the uh, trying to get something over the weekend before lineups get set, and that would be something they would uh, like to do. So we'll try to work on that and leave any questions or feedback you have about the podcast in the comments section. Any final thoughts before you uh, head out to the airport? No, nah, not quite at the airport yet. I have to do my taxes before I leave. Dude. Uh, <laughs> Hope your so taxes bad. are better than mine. Well, freelance writing is, well, yeah, you have a couple different sources, uh, but the freelance writing does not make for good taxing. No, taxing. no, it does not. <laughs> Especially when you don't have to go that far. But what helps me is I get to deduct all the miles that I drive to Tropicana Field. That yeah. helped save my butt this year. But my goodness, tax time was not pretty this year. No. <laughs> Indeed. But uh, happy happy tax time to everybody. Yes, get those taxes done if you haven't done it. And uh, be diligent with your free agent dollars this weekend. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.